Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. At Christmas time in 1999, Las Vegas added Elvis slot machines into Vegas. And the Stratosphere said, we want an Elvis in the show. I said, tell them that we'll fly to Vegas. Don't need to be paid. Just give me seven minutes to do an audition <laughs> for them on our own dime. At the end of the audition, I was sent to my room. They had a meeting and half an hour later, the owner came to the door and said, you want to be in the American Superstar show? And that was it. You were there for the next 11 years. Thanks the next 11 years, like it or not. And there was a lot of not. <laughs> I did it. At that time, I was the longest-running Elvis in the history of Vegas. I'm Peter McCulley. That's BC's Darren Lee. On the 20th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death, he earned the title of the world's best Elvis tribute artist in Memphis, Tennessee. We're pretty sure he's played more shows to date than Elvis ever did. Darren Lee joins us on this edition of Today in BC. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm doing very well, Darren. You've been an Elvis tribute artist for many years. So what do you think makes Elvis such an enduring icon? And why do you think people still love his music today? It's timeless. Elvis had everything. He had the voice. He had the looks, the charisma, the moves. It came around in a time when rock and roll needed somebody to bring it to the forefront because black music at the time was not being played on the air and they needed a white guy to present it to the world. And so he came out. He, everybody knows his story. Boom, bang. And then he was gone in flash. It's just that music, it just, the parents gave it to their kids, and then their kids gave it to their kids. With my daughter, Shayla, she started learning guitar by listening to Buddy Holly. So she listened to all of Buddy Holly's music and learned every one of them. And then she moved to Elvis, and she learned mostly Elvis music. Now she's into the Beatles. It's like these, the icons, if their music is just great and it appeals to their parent, their parents will hand it down, and if they're interested, then they'll get involved with it. I have twin daughters, and one of them is into new music. She doesn't really care about Elvis or Buddy Holly or anything like that. She wants to listen to Ariana Grande and everything that's brand new. So that's what influences her. Whereas Shayla, when Shayla eventually has kids in 50 years, um, <laughs> <laughs> she will pass Elvis on to them. And it just keeps on going. And there's a friend of mine that has a son who's four and a half years old. He watches me on YouTube every single day and tries to be me. He's got more energy than I think I ever had. He's better than four and a half than I was at 21 when I started. I could sing, but he's still learning. But just the love of this music and why, who knows? It's just, that's what appeals to him. He logged on to me and found this guy I like, and I want to be just like this guy. It's happened with me. It happens with Dean Z and all these other Elvis tribute artists that they build a following and then their kids bring their kids and then their kids want to be Dean Z or whoever. It just goes on and on. It always will. Where did your love of Elvis come from when you were growing up in Edmonton? And how did you get your start in music? My mom was a huge Elvis fan when she was younger. I don't know if she was allowed to listen to Elvis. I do remember her telling me that she went to see Jealous Rock and the audience screamed for the entire time that he was on the screen. She doesn't even know what the movie's about. So she was a huge Elvis fan. And then when I came around, that was the music that she listened to, and that's what my brother and I listened to. So it was like when we would get into the station wagon and go to school, 
we throw in the Elvis 8-track. For those of you that don't know what 8-tracks are, <laughs> they were instruments that would play music but didn't sound very good. But it was the new thing. So we would listen to Elvis 8-tracks on the way to school. It was ingrained in me. A couple of years later, I discovered Kiss on my own. But Elvis was that voice and that bass and that everything. So when I was in grade five, there was a Catholic nun named Sister Claire that came to our school to start a school choir. There were 73 kids that were chosen to be in this choir, and I was one of them. We learned all the songs that we were going to learn, and we would go sing in church. This was not the old How Great Thou Art type songs we were singing. They were modern gospel songs written by gospel entertainers from the 70s. So we were learning all these brand new gospel songs and singing them in church. She found out six months in that my mother owned a guitar. And she said, would you learn how to play it? And I was 10 years old and I kicked and screamed. I don't want it. I was crying. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. But she kept on pushing. So I finally said, okay, I'll learn how to play guitar. So she taught me the seven basic chords that I needed. I have a really good ear for music. So I would sit down and I would be learning the gospel music to how to play them on guitar while listening to Elvis records. And I realized that an A chord I was playing in a certain song sounded like the A chord that was coming out of Blue Suede Shoes. So I started playing along and didn't take me very long before I knew Blue Suede Shoes and All Shook Up and Jealous Rock. And that was where I started learning these songs. We would have, we called them air bands. We had an air band where we performed as Kiss. So a friend put makeup on her face, which was Noxzema, not the right stuff to use, but <laughs> and we did a show on our balcony and we charged the kids 25 cents to come and see the show. So that's when the entertaining part of me started was doing that. And so you put that together with the age that I was 10 years old. It was 1977 and Elvis passed away. So it was a flood of Elvis music. I was learning a new song every single day and that progressed into singing in lounges when I was about 14 years old. And it wasn't just Elvis at that point. It was... Eddie Rabbit, and it was the Beatles and Buddy Holly and everybody else. But it all started with that Catholic nun. And I was lucky enough to uh, be able to speak to her when I was in, in Maui. She phoned me because she said I was giving wrong information about her to all the people that were on Facebook. And I said, what was wrong? She said, well, you said that I smoked, drank, and wore blue jeans. And I said, yeah. She said, I smoked, but I stopped. I don't drink. And I said, I, I disagree. My mom said that one night we went out after one of the shows and we went into a lounge and everybody was ordering coffee because they didn't want to upset her. And my mother said that you said, if nobody else is going to order, I'm going to order Ryan Coke. <laughs> she says, that may have happened. And then, yes, she wore blue jeans. So basically, she was a hippie from the 70s and she became a Catholic nun. And out of all the choirs that she put on, from 77 till 90-something, there's two entertainers that carried on that legacy, and that was myself and a guitar player here in Vancouver. And there were hundreds and thousands of kids that sang in her choirs, and two kids carried on their music. And because of her, I have two beautiful daughters. I've been in Maui. I've been in Vegas. I won awards, and it's all because of her. Darren, as you started to perform as Elvis, as a tribute artist. At some point, you've won your first contest. Where would that be? That contest was at Kingsway Garden Mall in Edmonton. It was a contest that had so many entries that they basically put everybody's name into a hat, and then they chose 10 
people out of that hat, and I was lucky enough to to be chosen. That morning, I had strep throat, and I was like, if I can't sing very well, I'll just move a lot. I watched the video, and actually, it wasn't that bad, but at the time, I thought it was bad. And I won the contest, which was sponsored by the Elvis Presley Museum that was out of Tennessee. And they were about to go on a tour of Australia where they would be taking artifacts that belong to Elvis and putting them on display in shopping malls. And so they asked if I would be interested. And I said, definitely. So I went to Australia for seven and a half months. I performed in the shopping malls three times a day, built up a huge following, came back with 100 teddy bears, different unmentionables, <laughs> and, and even an Australian girl, which I sent home a couple weeks after that. The prize for winning the contest I got a trip for two to Graceland. And so when I was in Memphis, I competed in the World Elvis competition for the second time. I didn't place in the finals at all. And as it turned out, we went back every year. And that was in 94. 95, I came in third in the world. And then in 97, I won the world. And it all started with that contest in Edmonton, which was not a big contest, but the rewards of that were huge. You mentioned you had strep throat for that contest. When did the Elvis voice arrive for you? I've watched a lot of your YouTube videos, and you've got the chops for the big numbers. But as we know, Elvis was a fairly young man when he burst upon the scene, and his voice matured along the way. I couldn't have been Elvis. There's no way. It took me 10 years. I started in 88, and it was Vegas, basically, 2000. When you're doing nine shows a week, as well as 50 Elvis weddings a month, your voice gets very mature. It gets to the point where you can sing for hours and nothing bothers you. And that's when I started to sound like Elvis. My first 10 years, I never got any compliments on my voice. I would get told, man, you got a lot of energy. Your moves are fantastic. You look great, but never anything about, my God, it sounds just like Elvis, not until I went to Vegas. You mentioned the wear and tear on the voice, so that does make the vocal cords stronger? Oh, yeah. I don't compare myself to Tom Jones, but I'm from the Tom Jones school of singing, and that's just open up your mouth. Don't rehearse. I don't think he does. I don't warm up my voice, and I don't warm up my body before I walk on stage. It's the adrenaline that gives me what I need to perform. I was playing the Army Navy Club in Steveston, and I was supposed to do two 45-minute sets, and I just said to the audience, how about if I just sing for three hours. I don't need to take a break. I don't need to go upstairs and rest. Let's just do this nonstop, which I did. You mentioned you had a Las Vegas run, which was very successful. And then another years later in Maui, what kind of preparation goes into planning those performances? Vegas was my mother and my manager at the time were dating. And they went to Reno and they saw the American superstars in Reno and they contacted the owner of the show, Donnie Moore, and asked if it would be possible for the Sammy Davis and the Temptations to come to Canada to do a show with me. He basically said, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. Neil would keep on phoning Vegas every couple months saying, you should get Darren in the show. And they're like, no, we don't want an Elvis in the show. At Christmas time in 1999, Las Vegas added Elvis slot machines into Vegas. And the stratosphere said, we want an Elvis in the show. I said, tell them that we'll fly to Vegas. Don't need to be paid. Just give me seven minutes to do an audition <laughs> for them on our own dime. And that was it. The end of the audition, I was sent to my room. They had a meeting. And half an hour later, the owner came to the door and said, you want to be in the American Superstar show? And that was it. 
you were there for the next 11 years. Next, next 11 years, like it or not. And there was a lot of not. <laughs> I did it. At that time, I was the longest running Elvis in the history of Vegas. In a roundabout way, eventually led to my Maui thing. We came back from Vegas. We gave birth to our twin daughters, and I was doing shows around BC for two and a half years. My wife said to me, you're not making enough money, so you need to go get a day job. I did a private show for a gentleman while I was in Vegas for his mother in Memphis. He gave me his phone number and said, if you're ever interested in doing anything else, phone me. And when you're put up against the wall of go get a day job driving a bus, for good or bad, as it turned out, it was the wrong thing to do. But at the time, it was like, I'm going to do this. And I picked up the phone and I made a deal with the devil. We went down to do an audition to do an Elvis luau. That got turned into performing at the Maui Theater. And the luau became Burn and Love. We went back, I think, three times before the show opened. So basically a year before the show opened, we went, we found the band in Hawaii, the dancers, did the promotions. When we opened on the 20th of December in 2013, it was the biggest opening that Hawaii had ever seen. And it was a hit and ran for the next four and a half years until bad management made a mistake and shut the show down. I know some of the fans can get pretty excited. You mentioned you came back from Australia with 100 teddy bears, so that speaks volumes to me. Did you ever require a bodyguard when you were on stage? <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was telling them a story about my mother wanting to push her way in to meet an Elvis tribute artist back when she was younger. And then years later, when her son is up on stage and somebody gets a little frisky, then she had to be the bodyguard. But no, I'm not Elvis. There, it's not like it was in 1977 to 79 when these Elvis tribute artists were Elvis and, and ladies were out of control because he was gone and these were the next best thing. By the time I got into it, it had tamed down so much and I really push and I still do and I always have in my career to be Darren Lee. I'm never Elvis. When I was in Vegas, I made sure that they introduced me as, every night as Darren Lee. I did not want to be known as Elvis. There's too many people that think they're Elvis. And I always wanted to be Darren Lee. What you saw on stage or in the audience was the same guy that you see sitting in front of you with his hair all over the place, just making breakfast for the girls. Darren, what's the most challenging aspect of interpreting Elvis? Getting ready for a show. I love it and I hate it. Like my hair is just a mess and it takes probably about an hour and a half to get my hair done properly. Then it's you shave and this and you put makeup on and... Right now, I'm going through a bad stage of using cheap makeup. I need to invest in, in better stuff because I will be 10 minutes into a show and my eyes will be blood red because it leaks into my eyes and stuff. But it's the getting ready. The entire time is probably two and a half, three hours, including everything, getting dressed, finding clothes, doing all this and leaving. And when you have your daughters over on a show day, it's brutal because they want to get in the bathroom. They got to eat lunch. They got to get dressed and you're going, oh my God, my hair is just not working right tonight. But once you get to the show, then you can relax because you're there and it's fine. And there's no preparation after that. It's basically push play on a song and then you're off and running. Do you have a particularly memorable performance or experience while channeling Elvis that you'd like to share with us? There's been so many over the last years, but recently there was one during COVID, I did a lot of neighborhood shows. I did 58 neighborhood shows between May and October of 2020. And I did this lady's birthday in 2020. And I didn't know that she was sick at the time. 
but I got a phone call a month ago from her daughter saying that she was going to have medically induced suicide that night. Would I be able to come down and sing to her? I said, I can't. I'm on the island. But I said, how about if I phone? And she couldn't speak at all. And she'd been watching like my videos constantly. That, that's what kept her going. I talked to her. I sang Kennel Falling Love. I sang Love Me Tender. I sang a couple other songs without my guitar, just acapella. I was being very honest with her. And I said, when you go up there, I said, give my grandmother a hug and tell her that I love her and I will see her up there someday. I did the performance. They thanked me and they hung up. And I guess probably an hour later, she was gone. Two weeks after that, my daughters and I were at one of those fairs that are at the shopping malls. And her daughter came up to me and said, are you Darren? And I said, yeah. And she said, can I hug you? So she gave me a big hug and she said, we were all crying what had happened and you made mom's transition into the next life easy. That's something that I'll never, ever forget. There's been so many in my career, but when you get put onto that level, I'm not Elvis and they know I'm not Elvis, but by me performing these songs and the joy that it brings to these people, you're not Elvis, but you've helped us. I've sang at a few funerals, which are very tough. The hardest was my grandmother's funeral. I was supposed to be one of the pallbearers and we had hired an entertainer to sing at my grandmother's funeral and he was late. And the funeral had to go and guess who sang? I had to get up and I had to sing How Great Thou Art and, and as my grandmother's coffin was being brought down the aisle and it's tough sometimes. But then there's other times when, you know, like in Burning Love, I'll be doing the Hawaiian wedding song for 1,400 women that I call my brides. And uh, sometimes a leg will come over my leg or they'll grab my hand or something like that. And, and there's actually, there was one time in Maui where there was a lady sitting across from me and I don't know if in a former life or something that we were connected, but it was, she was a little older than I was, but it was just like instant attraction. It was just like, I knew her, she knew me. When Today in BC continues, a lot more conversation with Darren Lee, Elvis Presley tribute artist. Buying a home is an important milestone. Find the right realtor and the right listings for your needs at todayshomebc.com. Powered by Black Press Media. With easy-to-use search filters and direct links to realtors and their websites, you'll get all the information you need to find your perfect home. Search hundreds of local listings and get access to the top real estate professionals to help you find your perfect property. Get started now at todayshomebc.com. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Darren, you do have a resemblance to Elvis, and when you have the sideburns going, you must get strange looks now and again when you're out at the grocery store. This morning, there's no resemblance whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> the sideburns are something that, that have to be there because Elvis had sideburns, and I need to dye my hair tonight and my sideburns because when you get older, gray comes out and you have to use mascara to cover it up unless you have time to go and dye it. I have a normal job where I drive a truck for a restaurant supply company. If a restaurant needs a stove or an oven or napkins or dishes or whatever, I deliver it. There's days where I will have a show that night. And so I'll go to work fully on hair and makeup and everything. And it's like, hi, Elvis, kind of thing. It's another day they'll see me like with a hat on my head, not shaving for a week. And then it's, oh my God, it's Elvis. It goes through the territory and it's cool. It's, it's provided 
free dinners. It's provided wives. It's provided in Maui, provided lots by, by being Elvis and giving back helped a lot. Have you ever had the opportunity to meet any of the Elvis Presley family members or colleagues, fellow musicians? I would have loved to met Scotty Moore and DJ Fontana, Elvis's original guitar player and drummer. But I wasn't pushy. When we were in Memphis, they were there doing things. And I was not a pushy guy. I got to know Dick Grobe, who was Elvis's head of security in the 70s. He lived in Vegas, and I got to know him very well. My brothers met Priscilla. He met Lisa Marie and her then-husband, Nicolas Cage, but not really. You recreate Elvis from all his various musical chapters, which is probably pretty tough when you're starting at the start and going to the end. Do you have a favorite time in Elvis's musical life? It's tough right now because with weight, uh, I'm looking at a black leather jacket right now, and it doesn't want to get me on yet. (laughs) Right across from that is a white jumpsuit that I'm pretty close to fitting into, but I need to lose... Well, probably about 15 more pounds before I can get into that suit. So I have a couple of jumpsuits that are different stages of weight. So if I, if I get heavy, I can put on this one. If I get lighter, I can put on this one. My favorite era of Elvis is uh, from 1968 to 1971. And the 1968 comeback special is the greatest thing he ever did and could possibly be the greatest thing that ever happened in music, in my opinion. We just watched it, my wife and I, I think it was on PBS three or four weeks ago, and I hadn't seen it in probably, I don't know, 15 years. It was fantastic from start to finish. He looked phenomenal and sang great. His vocal prime was from 68 to 71. He had that that raspness in his voice, and he'd been away for doing movies for so many years and came back and just bang. And it's like in the new movie, the majority of the performances are from 68. And Austin Butler nailed them. That's the most exciting Elvis that there was. When my wife and I got married, the wedding waltz was Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's lots of folks who can say that, but that happens to be our particular favorite. Do you have a favorite Elvis tune to perform on stage? For the longest time, I always said I would never wear a jumpsuit. I'd never get married and I'd have, never have kids. I've done all three. And I always associated my way with the declining years of Elvis in a white jumpsuit. And when I refused to ever wear a jumpsuit, my way was part of that. When I finally let in about 2010 and I got a jumpsuit, then I added my way. And my way is probably my fave. It's probably the song out of all the Elvis songs that I think is probably the best that I've achieved in my voice. To me, it's the closest thing that I've ever done. Elvis sounding and whatever, because there's a lot of songs I don't think I sound anything like Elvis and some that I do. And that one I love to perform. I love to perform Lottie Miss Claudie, which is a hip grinder. I love to do Walk a Mile in My Shoes, Sweet Caroline, um, Treatment Ice. There's so many. My my favorite Elvis song is Don't, which was a number one hit in 1958, which is still a relatively unknown song. And that's my Desert Island Elvis song is Don't. Is there any one number that always generates a big response from the audience? Doesn't matter where you are, who they are. Suspicious Minds is the biggest, the most popular Elvis song of all time. From the time that I started doing Elvis for the last 35 years, that's the song that gets yelled out every single night is Suspicious Minds, probably followed by Jailhouse Rock, followed by In the Ghetto, Kind of Falling in Love, and recently If I Can Dream because of the, the movie and stuff which every one of those songs is a classic, but Suspicious Minds is that one. 
And to be honest with you, the studio version is not one of my favorite songs. The live version is, but the studio version is just not one of my favorite songs. Anybody who had either seen the live satellite show, which was the biggest event in the world at that time, or owned a copy of Aloha Hawaii would agree with you because there was just something about Elvis live versus in the studio. I watched the TV show and he looked phenomenal. He sang phenomenal. He lost all this weight and he looked great, but energy, he had none. And the songs in the show were not that energetic. A couple months before that, he was doing Poke Stallard Annie and he was doing all these other songs where he was like really moving. And uh, this one was heavy on ballads, but his singing was phenomenal. You know, What Now My Love and My Way and American Trilogy and Suspicious Minds and every song on there was phenomenal. It's just that gets shown like on PBS all the time and is part of the reason why Burning Love was such a success was because of the movie Blue Hawaii, but probably more than that was probably Aloha from Hawaii. Because everybody, as dog has seen it, it's probably shown weekly on TV in Maui. You mentioned about the various outfits you have. Darren, your clothes closet must be freaking huge. <laughs> There's other Elvises that, that just wear jumpsuits. And I know that some of those guys have got like a full closet full of jumpsuits. And those things range from $1,200 to $4,000. Since I do all the different eras, I think I have five jumpsuits. I've got two gold lame jackets, which are actually made out of leather, a red lame jacket that's made out of leather, black leather outfit I need to fit into, tons of assorted suit jackets and shirts, pants and stuff. But yeah, once the weight comes down, I need to replenish. You mentioned you have twin daughters. Are they both musical? Shayla is. Shayla's followed in her dad's footsteps and... She's a left-handed guitar player. When she plays left-handed, the guitar goes to the right side, believe it or not. That's what it does. And so it's her right hand that is very quick. It's the picking hand. It's very quick. I look at her hands and I see a guitar player. Her left hand is the weaker out of the two, whereas I'm a right-handed guitar player. She's a lot quicker than I am. She'll learn a song every day. I hired a guitar teacher for three weeks. All he was teaching her was notes. And I said, I'm not paying for that. So I said, here, learn this song. She learned the song just like that. It was a Buddy Holly song. And then I said, let's try I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. She learned that. And now he's inhaling music. She's starting to learn the guitar solos. She's only been playing for a year. She's phenomenal guitar player. Her sister is not really into music. What she loves to do is she loves to make TikTok videos. And she'll be in Walmart. She'll set up her camera and she'll just start dancing around and she'll do take after take. So she loves new music. She does not love old music. So basically, we have to share the radio. In the show notes, our listeners will find a link to your upcoming shows around BC. But I wanted to ask you about the fact that your brother also from time to time does an Elvis tribute act. Yeah, Robin saw me doing Elvis for years. Not, I would get Robin to come up on stage and, and sing a song. And Robin would come up on stage and stand as stiff as a board with his hand over his ear and try and get through an Elvis song. In 1999, we performed the complete 68 comeback special, which is on YouTube at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. It was the entire show, not just the black leather. It was the dance numbers dancers and everything else. And he was a part of that. There's a scene where Elvis is in a carnival and he's fighting these guys. 
while singing a slow song called It Hurts Me. And he was a part of that. And in the black leather, he was sitting right beside me playing the tambourine and singing along. And I think that kind of stirred up something in him where he was like, maybe I'd like to try that too. So he started going to karaoke. And then I went to Vegas and uh, in 2000. And when I went to Vegas, he inherited my van, my music, my manager, and all the places I'd ever played. Basically walked right in the back door because he'd already started performing shows in 2000. And in 2002, he went to Collingwood, Ontario and won the Canadian contest. He only been doing Elvis for two years. He was left-handed when he was bored, but my mother turned him right-handed. But when he dances, it's the complete opposite of me. So we've done a lot of shows that we call the Presleys. And it's the two of us doing the show. And we don't say you're Jesse and I'm Elvis, but that was an idea for a show we had once that just didn't get off the ground. But it was basically, what if Elvis's twin brother hadn't died at birth? Would there have been two of them? I'd like to thank Darren Lee, Elvis Presley tribute artist, for being with us on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.